What a week it's been. What a weekend it will be. This week on Not Sam Wrestling, we preview the Evolved 10th Anniversary Show. We preview Fight for the Fallen. We preview Extreme Rules. I'm going to let you know what I've got going on this week. Plus, we're going to take a retrospective look back at ECW One Night Stand 2006 alongside Tom Phillips. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Oh yes, here he is. Thank you, Mr. Finkel. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. And uh, yeah, it's a busy time. I think it's, you know, we talk about this every week. It's a busy time for wrestling and it feels like it's only going to get busier as things start to pick up. I think, you know, this summer is all about revving up to one of the busiest, most unique fall seasons we've had in this world of wrestling since the mid-90s. You know, you're talking about a new promotion debuting a new television show. You're talking about WWE making the move over to network television with SmackDown on Fox and possibly rebranding and re-strategizing a lot of the way they do business. It's, uh, It's wild, and right now we're right in the thick of it. Uh, A lot of wrestling to happen this weekend, and so there's going to be a lot to talk about in the state of wrestling, as well as a lot to review that happened this week. You know, it felt like Raw was changing two weeks ago, and then, or I guess last week, and then this week, you're going, well, maybe it's not so much changing, but there are still things happening. It's a weird time. It's a very weird time, but we'll be here to cover all of it here on Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, Speaking of Raw this week, if you guys were following along with me on social media, you know that I was out there in Newark uh, doing some commentary. If anybody's got Hulu, main event airs on Hulu every Thursday, I believe, is when it gets posted. I think in the United States, that's the only place to get the up-to-date main event episodes. I think the WWE Network gets them several weeks late, but if you've got Hulu in the United States, I I don't know how it airs internationally, but in the United States, if you've got Hulu, uh, then check it out on Thursday. I'll be doing commentary on main event alongside Renee Young and Byron Saxton. Absolutely having the time of my life. Uh, I was also, if you go to the WWE's YouTube channel, on Sunday, they uh, put out an episode of a brand new show called Reimagined, where they kind of uh, uh, go into a parallel universe where what happens if a thing that we never thought would happen actually did happen, and how different would everything be? Uh, For the first episode, they look at what would have happened if The Undertaker had gone to WCW in 97-98 and actually had the match with Sting when both guys were at their prime right there during the, the, the prime, the peak, the pinnacle of the Monday Night Wars. Uh, it was a fun thing to do. Obviously, The Undertaker would have never done that, but it was a fun kind of fantasy booking thing to do. Uh, one of the projects that I've talked about over the past few months that was filmed here in the Not Sam studio that I thought you guys would enjoy, and I still think you would enjoy it. So if you haven't seen it yet, uh, I'm a big part of it uh, and super happy, by the way, to be a big part of it. It was, It's just fun, you know, to sit down for an afternoon and just talk about what would happen if The Undertaker had gone to WCW. Well, here's what I think. And there's so much, dude, I mean... You guys know by now, if you listen to this podcast, I have a tendency to ramble on when it comes to wrestling. So uh, you can only imagine 
how much footage there is on the cutting room floor of that Undertaker Sting project. But I like the way it came out. Uh, it came out looking really cool, really different from what WWE usually does. So check that out over on the WWE's YouTube channel and other uh, social media platforms, as well as, of course, main event this Thursday. Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking... So it's going to be a busy weekend. I'm going to try to fit in some kind of a bonus show over the weekend, whether it's... It won't be to celebrate Extreme Rules, I don't think, because I'll be in Philadelphia for Extreme Rules. I'll be a part of that kickoff show on Sunday. Um, so I won't be in the Not Sam studio. But on Saturday, I should be here, unless I leave for Philadelphia. I should be here on Saturday. So maybe I will do a bonus show about either Evolve 10th Anniversary or Fight for the Fall in the AEW show. Uh, let me know on Twitter or in the Patreon-only Discord room uh, what you guys would rather have covered. Um, and, of course, those bonus shows are only available for Not Sam Shills. The Not Sam Shills, you can be a shill for less than a dollar a week. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling, sign up, and become a Not Sam Shill. It's the best way to contribute to this podcast. And uh, you'll get all kinds of bonus content, audio shows, videos. Uh, you'll get access every tier of the Not Sam Show Patreon page gets access to the Discord room where people are just talking about wrestling uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I appreciate all the new members to that Discord room that have popped up in the last week or two. Uh, it's really fun watching that community grow. So become a part of the community, patreon.com slash wrestling. I'm sure I'll talk about it a little more later in the show. Uh, but this week, we're doing something special. You know, uh, several weeks back, uh, I sat down... Uh, with Mike Johnson from PW Insider. And the two of us kind of uh, talked nostalgically from a fan perspective about the buildup to ECW Barely Legal, why it was so cool, what it was like. Uh, that video, by the way, is available already. It's been available for a long time on the Patreon page, and it will be up on the YouTube channel soon, youtube.com slash notsam. Uh, but after that aired... Um, and I said that it was something I said on the podcast, it was something that I wanted to do more to, to dip into those old, st old shows and kind of just wax nostalgic as a fan about the time period and the buildup and the significance of what was happening and all that. Uh, a bunch of people reached out, uh, that are, you know, just big wrestling fans, but also in the wrestling business, uh, and thought it would just be a super fun thing to be a part of. And one of those people was Tom Phillips, the voice of WWE SmackDown. And I said, Tom, uh, whatever show you want to do. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, without sounding too egotistical, without making it seem like I'm more of a, of a, a wrestling nerd than I actually am, I said, Tom, I, I believe that whatever show you pick, I will have seen uh, and have some kind of knowledge uh, on and be able to uh, be retrospective about it in some way, shape, or form. And he said, what about ECW One Night Stand? And I said, this is perfect because we're approaching Extreme Rules. It's going to be in Philadelphia, you know, the, the, the home of ECW. And Extreme Rules as a pay-per-view is what One Night Stand became. I believe they did... I want to say three. It might have been four, but I want to say three one-night stands. They did two ECW one-night stands. They did one WWE one-night stand. And then, it, I believe, after that, it turned into Extreme Rules. And that's where we are 
right now. So it's perfect timing to do it. I said, Tom, let's talk about it. Let's go over it. And I said, I assume that the show you want to do is ECW One Night Stand 2005. And he said, well, no, I want to do 2006. And I said, really? Because the conversation that we always have when we talk about those One Night Stand shows, I mean, I remember uh, how super excited I was for the first ECW One Night Stand. And that first show is the one that so many people point to as being one of the best pay-per-views of all time, as being that special night. And 2006, I said, okay, you know, if that's the show you want to do, that's the show you want to do. Uh, I think uh, people are a little bit sour on the 2006 edition of One Night Stand because that is the pay-per-view that ushered in the WWE-branded ECW show, which ended up being a failure and certainly was not the ECW that those of us that were giant ECW fans grew up with. But if you look at ECW One Night Stand 2006 as a show by itself and you don't pay attention to the TV that came after it, it's actually a great pay-per-view. So I said, Tom, that's a great idea. And it's, uh, it's unexpected. And I think it's one of those things that people will enjoy hearing about. And, and I feel like this conversation will probably push a lot of you to turn on the WWE Network over the weekend while you've got time. I mean, you got three pay-per-views, basically. They're not pay-per-views, but three, basically three pay-per-views happening this weekend. So while you're not watching AEW or Evolve or Extreme Rules, I'll bet you'll end up turning on ECW One Night Stand 2006 after this conversation. It's what we're breaking down this week on Not Sam Wrestling. I am taking a look back at ECW One Night Stand 2006 alongside Tom Phillips, the voice of SmackDown Live. Let's go to it. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. So, uh, you know, some of the people that have done the podcast before and some of the people that I know are big wrestling fans, even though they work in wrestling, you know, we all started as wrestling fans. And after the Barely Legal show, I was having conversations with a couple people, actually. And one of those people is uh, my guest at this time. He's the voice of, of SmackDown. His name is Tom Phillips from WWE. Hello, Tom. That's me. How you doing, man? What's I'm going on? Fantastic. How are you? I'm delightful. I'm in Philadelphia. Uh, Perfect. In, in you know, it's the city of extreme. Yeah. And you know, it made a whole lot of sense, Sam, that when we were talking about great moments, uh, that we look to extreme. Well, yeah. I mean, I was talking to you about uh, you know what do you what 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 did you what show was your show or whatever because we did this barely legal show and you were like. I loved One Night Stand 2006, ECW One Night Stand 2006. Now, we'll get into the whole thing, and we'll talk about, you know, the buildup, because, you know, you're just a fan watching at that point, right? Yeah, so it was crazy, and I remember when I came on uh, your podcast in the first place in the luxurious Not Sam studio. That's right. Um, in that my, my upbringing on wrestling was very different, in that, so my parents were not fans, did not like it. It was a lot of uh, a lot of blood, a lot of violence, uh, a little bit more risque and everything like that. Yeah, so especially were, in that. That's the thing about the attitude era. You're a little okay. younger than me, but not that much younger than me. And my parents told me that when I was in high school watching the attitude era, they they said like, "We can't stop you from watching this now because mm -hmm. you've been watching since you were you know an infant." But mm -hmm. if you just, you know, in high school as a, you know, as a 13 year old just decided, okay, I'm going to start watching wrestling there. We're like, we, there's no way we would let you watch this. <laughs> this right, is exactly. insane. And especially the early ECW stuff. But yes. at this point, um, 2006, so I was in high school, mm -hmm. so it was a little bit more like, 
he's watching whatever he wants at this point and everything. So I don't believe I, I bought the pay-per-view live, but I wound up seeing it after the fact. I can't remember exactly how. But so, uh, again, my parents were just not fans of it. So, unfortunately, I never ha- had a chance to really go to an ECW event. I never had a chance to go to the 2300. I never had a chance to go to the Hammerstein Ballroom. Um, and it's like I don't I don't hold it against my parents. I completely understand why they did. I would. Uh, but that's on my wrestling bucket list still. Yeah, well, you know, now that you guys have evolved coming to the WWE Network, maybe you go to the Evolve 10th Anniversary Show at the 2300 Arena. That's true. Uh, I'll have to see what day that is um, and uh, see, if, see if I'm in the state. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on where we are. So, uh, but yeah, so it just it made my processing of ECW and wrestling as a whole very different. And then as a whole, um, once I got older and I realized, oh, ECW was a Philly product and everything like that. And I went back and poured over stuff on the network. So See, that's yeah, amazing because really. you, you grew up in Philly, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Outside like, so were you aware, at least, even if you weren't a fan, was there a, a, a larger awareness of ECW as a brand just because it was so – I mean, in New York, we took some ownership over ECW because they were at the Elks Lodge in Queens – at yep. the end of ECW, the Hammerstein became their home away from home. But mm-hmm. realistically, everybody knew that ECW was a Philadelphia product. Was there a kind of uh, uh, awareness that you had for it? Absolutely, because I had friends that like I would play the video games and stuff. Uh, I played WWF No Mercy. I played um, what was it? A WCW versus NWO Revenge. So I would go play with other kids and stuff like that. So I'd be like, yo, like, have you seen ECW? So when I first was discovering it, I was like, what's that? And then you turn it on and it's just outrageous stuff with all these weapons and all this stuff and blood everywhere. And it's like, this is ridiculous. So I had to check it out. Yeah. And then, of course, the invasion angle. So it was like, oh, okay. Like, it all just kind of came together at this really cool time in wrestling. That's amazing that really for you, and I guess it, it, it's, it's exposure and it's age, that mm-hmm. ECW as a brand, you really got exposed to it through the invasion angle. Yeah, it was not That's amazing. Like, and I wish, I know, I, and it sounds like, you know, how could you, were you living under a rock? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, for the most part, I kind of was and everything. Yeah. I was uh, into it when I was younger and everything. I think pre, I was into Raw before the invasion angle um, when I was a kid. But again, it was like when I could get away with it, like my parents would go to bed and I go to the basement and I watched the show on the lowest volume possible so I wouldn't get in trouble and everything. So uh, different upbringing in wrestling i mean i remember being a kid because like anybody that's listened to my podcast knows i was the biggest ecw fan in the world i was the, when i was tape trading it was for japanese death matches i mean i'm literally <laughs> to this day i've reinvested in a lot of my like things that made me happy in high school and i've been right. watching like czw tournament of deaths and whatnot like i'm i'm so back <laughs> into it it's unbelievable but i remember being a kid and like seeing how smart my parents were and mm-hmm. going, because ECW, they used to, it was basically an infomercial, right? There were no commercials right. on ECW TV. It was all commercials for ECW products. So I went to my mom, and I was like, oh, you know, and I would tape it, and I would show her the tape, and I'm like, can you call and order me this T-shirt? And she would go, yeah, of course. I hey, why right. does it say ECFNW? And I was like, no, it's just a, you know, it's like no a reason. thing. you know. No it's a, and she's like, I'm not... I'm not, no, I'm not going to, my child is not going to go to school 
wearing yeah. a shirt that says ECFNW. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, you do you know. Can't, you can't get away with that now. No like, way. Kids, kids go to school with any lever, lever of uh, like profanity or anything that's even mildly controversial, and they get kicked out of school. Right. You would have been punted so, out of school. It would have been very bad. Well, yeah, so instead I just had to wear a shirt that said suck it on the back. So, you know, it, it is what it is. <laughs> that's better. That's somehow better. I don't know. So it was, I mean, it was super sad for me and you know those around me when ECW went away I was at the Hammerstein Ballroom for the last ECW proper pay-per-view not Mm. the you know not one night stand but the last ECW pay-per-view was at the Hammerstein Ballroom and there were all these uh uh rumors that it was going away but it wasn't official because there was another pay-per-view that was on the books like if you got your tv guide in a month there was a sec- another pay-per-view scheduled, and there were two house shows in Philly that were also scheduled. Mm-hmm. So they ran the two house shows, and everybody was like, well, they haven't, they're not selling tickets to the pay-per-view. They're not announcing any matches for the pay-per-view. They're not making new episodes of TV. Like, this isn't happening, and right. you'd sit there, and you'd hold out, and you'd go, no, they might be doing something, they might be doing something, and kind of when that last pay-per-view didn't happen, mm-hmm. you went, oh, it's really gone. And then, you know, the classic story of Paul Heyman showing up on Raw and sitting down in the commentary booth and you go, oh, right. my God, this is this is really gone it's and gone. extraordinarily jarring. And to this day, there's still people who are bitter about it. There's still people who think it's like one of the greatest moves ever orchestrated in the history of the business and everything. So everybody's got a different opinion on it. But I think the one thing, especially when I was watching some of that stuff, was uh, ultimately like being aware of what was happening and then just fear that some of your favorites were going to go away, that you would never see your favorites ever again. Sandman, Dreamer, RVD, like the list goes on and on. It was like, we're never going to see these guys again. Where are they going to go? You know, what's going to happen? And, you know, if we're, if we're speaking honestly, there were a lot of guys that were perfectly positioned in an ECW environment. ECW is yep. a very unique environment. So even if these superstars are moving over to a WWE or wherever else, it's not the same. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Like WWE isn't positioned to have a guy like the Sandman on top. You know, it's just, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. <laughs> you never know. Right. Um, no, that's the crazy thing is that, and, and it gets talked about nowadays, there's five brands within WWE alone. So right. it's like, okay, maybe one guy on this brand make sense on this one but if he came here it'd be completely outlandish or something right so it's just finding where that book goes on the shelf so to speak but it's interesting that we that we talk about that because you chose ecw one night stand 2006 now this was a year into kind of the resurgence of ecw as a brand ecw goes away in the early 2000s and a mm-hmm. few years later WWE puts out this DVD, The Rise and the Fall of ECW, and it's great. It's on the network. The documentary part is on the network. It's almost three hours long, and they go through everything. It's It's great. It's awesome. I love it. It's still probably my favorite WWE home video release ever, Um, and it sold like crazy. It sold, I think, only WrestleMania sold more DVDs the year that that Mm -hmm. DVD came out, so, you know, it raised a lot of eyebrows, and then the story goes that Rob Van Dam was the first person that actually pitched Vince McMahon on an ECW reunion pay-per-view and said, you got all these guys here. Why don't you do an ECW pay-per-view? And then Mm -hmm. the wheels start turning. The DVD sales are what the DVD sales are. And in 2005, 
they put together this one night stand pay per view at the Hammerstein Ballroom, which is done in a way that WWE never really had or really has since mm-hmm. done it's, it. It was just totally different. Totally different. It didn't yeah. look like WWE. It wasn't polished. Mm-hmm. It looked like the people producing ECW pay per views were truly given free reign and mm-hmm. they produced this pay per view. And the pay per view was super successful. I think it did. Uh, 300,000 pay-per-view buys. It sold out Hammerstein Ballroom. And it was one of the first pay-per-views that they offered on WWE.com, but the website crashed. So apparently (laughs) there were even more than the 300,000 that wanted to see this thing. And then, of course, the DVD and everything. And they go, okay, we're going to go back next year. Mm -hmm. And we're going to do One Night Stand 2006. And this pay-per-view is unique because this isn't a reunion show. Because right around uh, One Night Stand 2005... Shane Douglas was doing, uh, what was the, it was the Hardcore Homecoming, uh, mm-hmm. and doing his own independent ECW revival brand that kind of lasted actually a few shows independently, um, and there's a couple DVDs out there of some of those shows, um, and, 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 but this wasn't about, uh, an ECW reunion in 2006, this was a full relaunch of the brand, mm-hmm. and this is the pay-per-view that was going to launch WWE's ECW brand onto the show on sci-fi. So, Tom, the question is, in my mind, 2005 is like the classic one-night stand pay-per-view. When I came to you and said, what's your show, what what made it 2006? So, uh, granted, 05 is spectacular. Well, of I course, loved 05. Yeah. I loved 06 because I was, and still to this day, am a huge Rob Van Dam fan. So when I became aware of what ECW was, and then I was like, okay, who's like one of the best guys there? Everybody's like Rob Van Dam. Yeah. And that was the night Rob Van Dam wins the WWE title, um, and they were calling it all night. And then in the lead up to that, the Raw and SmackDown commentators were basically calling it. It would be, you know, an atrocity. It would be an abomination if this ever happened. And then meanwhile, you got Taz and Joey Styles calling the pay per view itself, and they're like. This is never, you know, there's never been a WWE title defended in an ECW ring. This is crazy, and we're doing this for the first time tonight. They had it with the World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, first offer in the night, I think it was, what, Sabu and, and uh, Rey Mysterio, which is crazy. And then it's like later tonight, it's John Cena versus Rob Van Dam. Rob Van Dam, who was cashing in Money in the Bank, the infancy of Money in the Bank as well in the early years of that, which is to this day, one of my favorite things in sports entertainment, period. And I think so it was the first time... that was awesome. And I think it was the first time that they actually called the cash-in in advance. Yes, I'm trying to remember, because um, there's only been a handful of ones where it's like, I'm going to do it in advance. And often, they, at least history has told us, often they don't work out great. Right, um, right. So... The surprise cash-ins are usually statistically better. Right. Yeah. And so, but at the same time, the confidence of... RVD and Paul Heyman and company to be like, no, we're going to do it in our building. The home field advantage was unbelievable. And it was the beginning of when many WWE fans, you could feel were starting to maybe turn on Cena a little bit. Yeah, sure. Sure. Especially those fans that loved ECW. Yeah. Yes. So that was maybe the tip of the iceberg there. I can't remember if that was exactly like the apex of that point when it really um, started to become very apparent where how polarizing he was. Mm -hmm. Um, but that crowd on that night, um, it was funny. You and I were talking before we started, and it was like every WWE guy that walked in the building, it didn't matter if you were a legend, a Hall of Famer, it didn't matter. You were the enemy. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here's what happened. So uh, 
uh, like I said, and we'll see in some of these matches, we'll talk about them, but it's not technically, like in the, the 2005 show, you had like, you know, uh, Chris Jericho coming out in his old Lionheart gear. You had uh, Rey Mysterio <laughs> versus Psychosis. You had you, you had matches that were just throwback to ECW matches. This pay-per-view was positioned really as WWE versus ECW. Yep. And I think a lot of ECW fans, myself included, we were excited about the show. We were excited to see these guys. We were excited to see the matches. But at the same time, it's almost that same thing that some people, some fans get worried about with NXT. When guys get called up to the main roster, half of you is excited because you get to see whoever, you get to see Aleister Black perform on either Raw or SmackDown. But the mm. other half of you is nervous because you've watched this guy excel in NXT and you go, is this going to work on the main roster? Mm -hmm. uh, there were a lot of ECW fans that were sitting there going, oh boy, now that this is WWE versus ECW, there's no way that they're going to let ECW come in and not bury them. And right. what was really kind of, what made this pay-per-view magical, because 2005 was definitely magic, what made mm -hmm. this one magic is, uh, you're right on, that ECW didn't get buried. ECW was put on a pedestal in comparison to WWE on this night, and and it's that's pretty rare and pretty amazing. And even in in manners where it just it just fit, it didn't feel completely outrageous. Um, the, yeah, the ending to the Sabu Rey Mysterio match, I sincerely I don't know if that was planned or not. The way that went down and everything, but Rey, you know, going straight down into his head through the table was just horrific. But it made Sabu like they were calling it a dream match in the course of the show. Of course. Um, what was it? Uh, King versus uh, versus Taz to start the show. Well, yeah, this let's. This battle of commentators. Was, uh, personally, I love that. <laughs> you got, of course, yeah, because you're sitting there going like, well, maybe yeah. <laughs> if another one night stand showed up. Um, yeah, let's run down these matches. So this went down at the Hammerstein Ballroom, and the show opens with Taz versus Jerry Lawler. Now, Taz is pulling double duty, he's going to mm. be on commentary. But this match. Uh, while, you know, Taz at this point is not the human suplex machine. I mean, I guess he was maybe for this one night, but he's now commentator Taz. He's Taz with two right. Zs, mm -hmm. and he's transitioned his career into commentary. Um, and he's he, he masterfully, by the way. I mean, of all people, if you watch old footage of ECW, to think somebody on this roster is going to be like a, a wisecracking color commentator, Taz mm -hmm. is the last person that's going to be on your list. And the fact that he excelled in that position is really pretty remarkable. And now he does like radio for a living. He talks for a living. Oh yeah. When I mean, before the, it was just beat me. If you can survive, if I let you, the stuff he did with Cole on SmackDown was fantastic. Awesome. It was some of the reasons why I fell in love with the SmackDown brand in the first place. Cause I think their commentary was spectacular on that brand. Yeah. Um, if only they could do what, something about it now. What are you talking about? That's not nice. Like, why would you say that about Byron? Like, no, that's you're not right. you know, entirely Byron's fault, you know? <laughs> no, I, like, personally, that's why, I, I mean, I can't see Brock Lesnar come down the aisle without hearing Here Comes the Pain, because that was the era I was growing up in. And just every time he came out, everything, it just fit. So yeah. I, I always like Taz's commentary. Now, this is a cool match to me, too, because it, there is some historical context. Taz being one of the faces of ECW, Mm -hmm. And Jerry Lawler, I mean, if you go back to, you know, the, the late 90s, mm -hmm. he was one of the biggest heels in ECW while he was in WWE. This was the time when ECW and WWE would kind of cooperate. 
And while they were cooperating, Jerry Lawler was getting behind the microphone and just trashing ECW. <laughs> and then, I mean, I mean, just extremely crappy wrestling this and just everybody mm-hmm. from ECW just burying and burying them to the point that he actually showed up at the ECW arena and showed up on ECW pay-per-view. Oh, and, yeah. and it became a storyline uh, uh, to see that kind of come back. And Jerry Lawler go back to being that guy that points out that he thinks ECW is garbage. And then to have Taz be able to come in and have this uh, hero's moment to start the show, I thought it was pretty cool. It was so cool. and Because, again, to your point, King, every single week, like waves on a beach, was just running down ECW. So it's like, oh, my God. And his his look of disgust when he walks into the arena is just like... I, he almost says, like, what the hell is going on here and everything? And then he goes over and he just slugs Joey Styles in the face, yeah. which I love Joey Styles. So I was like, what the hell? And then so all of a sudden, commentary's down. And so my first thought was uh-huh. like, oh, there's not going to be any commentary for this match. And then Joey Styles runs down. He's all over his back and everything. <laughs> and um, just Taz puts him out in a matter of seconds and everything. It's like, well, and we're off and running. So but it just, they nailed it. When Jerry Lawler's in a position that he's re- he's there to get real heat. Like when Jerry Lawler can really be a bad guy, whether it's with the mm-hmm. ECW stuff, whether it's punching Joey Styles in the face, whether it was the, you know, stuff with Bret Hart and the Hart family. Like yeah. Jerry Lawler's at his best when he can really be a bad guy. And, and he loves it. And there's just certain people where those roles fit and everything. And I, I love Jerry. I got to work with Jerry uh, early on in my career. And I've I worked WrestleMania with him this past year briefly for, for one match. So I love getting to sit there with King because he is brilliant on commentary. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, he's forever. He's an icon of wrestling, period. Yeah. So for him to do this kind of stuff uh, and just that kind of scenario would that phase other people? Maybe, but like he just walked in. And he's just like, yeah, got it. Know what to do. Easy. This is quick. Just walk in. Yeah, and he's never afraid of it. So then yep. the the first match match on the show is Kurt Angle versus Randy Orton, which mm-hmm. may be weird, uh, you know, to consider for an ECW pay per view. But right. as I said, this is leading into ECW on Sci Fi WWE's relaunch of ECW, and it's mm-hmm. already been announced. Kurt Angle is going to be one of the faces of the new ECW. And this is the sort of, this is Kurt Angle having moved on from the, you know, the three eyes, the goofy, the, the, the cowboy hats, the all, you know, all the, all the goofy, hilarious Kurt Angle stuff. Oh yeah. This is wrestling machine mouth guard. Yes. Slug you in the face, but also, um, just deathly serious, but incredibly aggressive Kurt Angle. And it's so much fun. Yeah. Yeah, I love this version of Kurt Angle, and to see somebody transform, like as a fan, like to watch him mm-hmm. convince me that, oh, this complete departure, he's still mm-hmm. the same person, he's still technically the same character, but for mm-hmm. this character to evolve in front of my face, to uh, be uh, something that is totally the antithesis of what he was before, and I mm-hmm. believe it, well, you know, I, I, I all of a sudden, I respect him you know, a hundred times somehow even more than I did before. Because that is always the hallmark of guys that usually wind up in the Hall of Fame is that they weren't always, you know, there's plenty of guys that were just one character their entire lives or one personality or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the hallmarks of the guys who are the absolute legends, the guys on the Mount Rushmore and everything, 
they were able to evolve with the times and they were able to evolve with their character, whether they're, you know, heel, whether they're baby face, it didn't matter. They would just find a way to make it work and everything. And that's always the definition of guys that are truly above and beyond everybody else. And Kurt at that time, it was uh, very cool how commentary is positioning him. He fits in perfectly here in ECW. And I think if you'd said that before that event, um, and I think they were, but if you said that before that event, you're kind of like, yeah, how is that going to work? Like Kurt Angle, who was a multi-time world champion, how are you going to put him in the Hammerstein ballroom? Is that going to fit? And, it, and to the point you were talking about before, is this going to fit here on a different brand? And it did. Mm-hmm. It, like They took to him in a heartbeat. Yeah. I want to get back to that retrospective look of One Night Stand 2006 in a moment. But first, I want to tell you guys about something. You know, you guys know that I just had a baby not too long ago. And my wife, you know, and I'm going to tread lightly on this. I'm trying to be delicate. But my wife is just in a state where physically, you know, she and I can be intimate again. These are details that I'm okay sharing with you guys because I trust you guys. And I'll tell you about my vulnerabilities. When it comes time to be intimate again, I need to not only be ready to go at a moment's notice. You know, we got babies running around the house. The minute they go to sleep, hey, are you ready, Sam? I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I got to be ready to go at a moment's notice. And I have to have the confidence that brought me to the dance. When you're able to produce children, sometimes, you know, that means you're a pro. That means you're number one. Gangbusters, okay? When it comes time to follow up that performance, that can be a lot of pressure. Thank God for Blue Chew. Blue Chew makes it so that not only can I go at a moment's notice, but I have this confidence about myself that you would not believe. I know that there are going to be no physical issues in the bedroom for me because of my friends and soon to be your friends too at Blue Chew. It's going to increase your performance and it's going to give you the extra confidence that I now have. Trust me, I was not a man designed to be born with confidence. Blue Chew is what gives it to me. That's blue like the color. They bring you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Day or night, full stomach, empty stomach, whatever you want to do. Since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as pills. You can be ready to go whenever the opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package so no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, no more awkwardness. It's a secret. I'm sharing it with you because I love you guys so much, but you don't have to share it with anybody. You'll be walking around with BDE, okay? I'm not. I'm, the B stands for big. I'm not going to tell you what the D stands for, and the E stands for energy. Big D energy. You know why? Because you got Blue Chew. That's the kind of confidence that you're going to be walking around this planet with. Since they're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships directly, they're cheaper than a pharmacy, okay? So you're not even going to be broke. You get to have BD energy and money in your pocket. It's incredible. If you visit BlueChew.com, I will make sure you get your first shipment for free. All you have to do is use the promo code ROBERTS, R-O-B-E-R-T-S. Pay $5 shipping and get your first shipment for free at BlueChew.com with promo code ROBERTS. That's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code ROBERTS, to try it for free. Do it today. Now, enough of the embarrassing personal details of my life. Well, it used to be embarrassing, not so much anymore. 
Let's get back to talking about wrestling. Because it was real. Because it wasn't, it didn't feel like a put on. It didn't feel like he was placating to the ECW audience. It didn't feel mm. like he was, you know, inventing this new persona. It felt like, oh yeah, I forgot. There's a reason why people are able to win Olympic gold medals in wrestling. It's because they're yeah. badass. It's because yeah. they dedicate their lives to being able to beat other individuals <laughs> in combat. Like, that's oh, yeah. what this man has devoted his life to. And you go, oh, see, I was so entertained by the, uh, I forgot right. he actually is a wrestling machine. Oh, yeah. Like, for instance, Chad Gable right now in yeah. WWE has all the potential in the world to be wrestling machine Chad Gable and everything. Can he do some haha with um, when he was with Bobby Roode, Robert Roode, excuse me? Yeah, that was entertaining. He even did some with American Alpha and everything. He was a little bit, you know, cheesy, but at the same time, Chad Gable and there's plenty of guys on our roster who are capable of going in there and dissecting you if they wanted to. And that's the amazing thing about our industry. Right. Like Chad Gable shows up on 205 Live and you go, oh, that was he, just, awesome. he just had one of the most incredible matches I've seen in a long time. I, I forgot. I desperately hope that a match happens again. Yeah. Hey, Gallagher, please run it back. Yeah. It was awesome. Um, so did you, but you liked the uh, Kurt Angle, Randy Orton match? So I want to ask you something. What did you think about Kurt's music that night? We, that was like the, the remix version, right? Yes. Where it just kind of like loop the beginning, like loop and loop and loop and loops. It was the percussion and everything like that just to kind of interrupt. It was to prevent the you suck. A hundred percent. The same way, yeah. like, you know, <laughs> like you, you, you listen for those little things. It's so that they don't, because he's not doing goofy you suck guy anymore. Mm -hmm. So they have to just, they have to mix up the tempo but right. they don't want a complete departure from the Patriot Del Wilkes theme music. So, so, so. That, that was, it was so ingrained in my mind. And then even to this day, like you would hear, you know, guys, uh, you know, Graves on Raw just laughing when they do the You Suck chance because it's like, yeah, like this is a form of endearment and everything like that. They genuinely love him. And it's like, they just did this for years when they were kids. And yeah. it's like, yeah, you can't unteach that. So nah. you hear that music, it's like something like a, a gear on a bike, not yeah. quite. Move and you're just like, wait, it has to be the other way around. But then, to your point, it fit the character perfectly, worked for everything he was doing. Right, like now because we're it's so ingrained in us. You know, you're sitting there almost like like a, like a Pavlovian dog, like Suck. waiting for your yeah. cue, like what, like going through like a like a like a seizure, trying to figure out when to when to jump in with your with your you suck. I don't understand how this works anymore. I know, I know. Uh, but the match itself, uh, to the point you were saying. Um, you talked about uh, King early in the night just knowing how to get heat. Mm -hmm. Randy Orton just uh. walked out there and just the smug look on his face and him basically maybe taking a swing, attempting to take a swing, thinking about taking a swing at that kid. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in the ring. Um, even Taz and Styles are like, you know, fireworks, and he's doing his pose and everything like that. And they're like, fireworks at an ECW event and everything. It's like right. the whole thing for as much as Kurt fit. And Kurt is very much, you know, at least – kind of still in the same mold of like one of those prototypical world champions in WWE as Randy Orton is. Mm -hmm. And it's like Kurt Fitz. And then Randy just seemed to that audience. He didn't fit the ECW, you know, mindset and everything, but, but that's why that's a match. Those guys work. I mean, a fantastic match, but that's why you love it so much is these little things where he's not using pyro to make a big deal out of himself. He's using pyro to spite the audience. He's using mm -hmm. pyro because I know that we don't use pyro in ECW. You guys don't like that. <laughs> so bring the pyro for me because I'm a bigger star than this entire organization. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Uh, yeah. The whole thing was awesome. I, I, I love uh, pretty much every generation of Randy's work. Uh, and it's a, and another guy who, while has remained the same, you know, package aesthetically in a lot of ways and everything, is still able to evolve and change. And whether he was completely sadistic when his head was shaved and everything to the stuff he did not long ago with the Wyatt family to the authority and bouncing around with evolution and everything like that. It's like there's so many different chapters of Randy, and each one of them is just fantastic. Yeah, and it just keeps growing. Like, each chapter builds in, on itself and builds on itself and builds on itself. It's so cool to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so then you've got a, you got an ECW throwback match coming up next, which I loved. Uh, the FBI, which is Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke, with Big Guido, of course, <laughs> in their corner. Uh, big going, Guido. Of course, well, big, well, you're not going to have Little Guido there and not have Big Guido there. Uh, first of all, uh, and they were very quick to point out this. Uh, this is Nunzio in WWE, right? Um, so they were like, "Oh yeah, he's this, but he's also that, and everything." So, uh, well, yeah, yeah I mean, that's isn't that that's like a fun line. Like they're like, "Well, we're, we, we're not going to have a." First of all, even if we didn't, even if we weren't concentrating on owning the name, right? We're going to change your name because we'd like to own it, but. We're also not gonna have a character on our show called Little Guido. That's not gonna no. happen. No, so it's really, uh, not gonna work, man. <laughs> so you're gonna be Nunzio, but then they're smart enough to know that if we go into the Hammerstein Ballroom with ECW flags flying and we go, "Hey, here's Nunzio," forget mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Boo, yeah. Little Guido. Like the whole, <laughs> the whole night would be that. So they're no, smart enough. Worked out well at all. Right. So it's Little Guido and Tony Mamaluke, uh, and they're going against Super Crazy. And Tajiri, um, yeah. who I always love, super crazy and Tajiri. I mean, I love, but the FBI kind of represents uh, probably maybe like one, I don't want to say generation, because ECW generations, it wasn't around that long, so it moves so quickly. But mm-hmm. I would say that uh, the, the, the FBI was probably right in the middle of ECW, and Tajiri and super crazy was the generation that was kind of towards the end of mm-hmm. ECW, but I thought seeing these guys come together was great, and it got me as a fan excited for the ECW relaunch mm-hmm. because it made me go, oh, so we're not just sitting here going like, here's the new ECW. It's Kurt Angle versus Randy Orton, and you're going, oh, right. okay. Like when it's like we have the FBI and Tajiri and Super Crazy as a fan, and we got Big Guido. Everybody's there. So as, yeah. and as, as a fan, I'm going, I'm going, okay, there's some fan service here. Like I'm getting yes. excited about it as a, as a, as an ECW fan, as somebody who still, after all these years has not let go that mm-hmm. my promotion is gone. The yeah. fact that this match is happening makes me happy. Yeah. It's, you know, like you see it, like it's uh, different in, in wrestling, but at least with sports teams and everything like that, it's like, okay, you've got your your core of guys who may have gotten drafted by the brand or something like that, drafted by the franchise and everything. And then you get some free agents here and there to kind of piece things together. But then it's those guys that have been there for a long time that the fans really get emotionally connected to. They may not be, you know, the top flight stars or something like that and everything. But as long as they're the guys that have been there for a while and, you know, have you know, put in the blood, sweat and tears, it's like, yeah, okay, this feels authentic and everything. So, and Tajiri and Super Crazy put on some of the best matches in the history of ECW. Yeah, oh yeah. And then, what Tajiri would then go on and do in WWE, we talk about incorporating the entertainment element while also being a completely devastating striker and everything. It was the perfect combination. Yeah, I mean, that's another one. Like, who here is going to really grasp 
the entertainment style of WWE. And it's like, well, Yoshihiro Tajiri is pretty good. And really? Right. Tajiri's the one. <laughs> okay. I predicted what he did with Regal. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I, like, and and what's, what's amazing is as fondly as I look back on everything Tajiri did in ECW, really, when I think of Tajiri, pretty close to top of mind mm-hmm. is the William Regal WWE stuff, which yeah. says a lot to Tajiri. Mm-hmm. But that's like, the, but again, that is part of what WWE is all about is that some of the most memorable moments are the entertainment portions of it. Um, and there are plenty of matches that you could put on tape that are like, yo, like this guy is spectacular. It's like, yeah, but he did this thing that I've watched a thousand times on YouTube and I'm belly laughing over 20 years after it happened and everything. Yeah, I Those mean, are the guys that live forever. Think about Booker T. Like, you're talking about oh a God, guy <laughs> who just. World championship after world championship after world championship. You're talking about WrestleMania main event. You're talking about, uh, you know, like a a storied career in both WCW and WWE. Mm -hmm. But the first thing is, remember when he fought Stone Cold in a grocery store? (laughs) The grocery store. Um, It's just... What what else is that? Like I mean, it's fantastic. It's, and then you so start going into his stuff go with Goldust, and yeah, I mean, oh it's, my god, you know. yeah, the Goldust stuff with uh, with his Queen Charmel and everything, uh, the the King Booker run, and then the stuff that he's done for us on commentary is what oh. I get to experience, you know, on a monthly basis of pay per views and everything. He's like, yeah, it's book being book, man. Great. We, we could go into an entire Booker T uh, tangential <laughs> podcast. Maybe we will at some point, but yeah. like just Booker T Appreciation Day. Amen. But uh, but yeah, so I thought that that was a. Uh, uh, a big time fan service match, and uh, and well placed on a show that is not entirely a fan service show. It was just yeah, then you still you have a great match, and then you still get Big Show out after the fact again. Yeah. A la Kurt Angle is that Kurt Angle's a new big time ECW guy. You get Big Show in there to take out Big Guido, and everything is like okay, right? He's big. This guy's bigger. This guy's badder, and everything. And again, another really cool era of what Big Show was doing. Right, and it's like if you've got if you've got a guy like Big Show who's going to be on ECW, mm-hmm. the best thing you can possibly do is have him stand up next to Little Guido. Because all of a sudden you go, I oh, can't yeah. believe these are two, they're both human beings. What do you mean, uh, Big, uh, Little Guido, uh, Little Guido, how he destroyed him, and right. Big Guido, how he destroyed him as well and everything. It's right. Just the, the layers, the, the, the sheer feet in between people is great. And, it, and it's also WWE's way of saying, yeah, but our giants are bigger than yours. Land of giants, uh, then we move on to the match that you were talking about earlier, one of your favorites from the show, the World Heavyweight Championship on the line. This is Rey Mysterio, and this is uh, uh, during his run of, of being the underdog champion. He won the Royal Rumble. He goes on to WrestleMania to win the World Heavyweight Championship. And now it's June of that year, and he's in the Hammerstein Ballroom, and he's defending the World Championship against Sabu. Mm-hmm. Of all people. Mm-hmm. Now, they do kind of tip the hat a little bit to the fact that Rey Mysterio is an ECW alumni. Oh, yes. Yeah. And he's got it on the back of his mask. Right. Which even the commentators are kind of like, oh, is he sucking up to the crowd? Is he trying to play that up? And it was like, no, I think Rey genuinely feels like beholden to ECW in some respect in terms of helping him get to where he did in his career. Uh, but it just didn't matter on that night. Like, mm-hmm. you. It you, you didn't matter what anybody from WWE could have potentially done that night. It, it just didn't matter who walked down the aisle. You're the enemy. But I love that the commentators did that because uh, Rey Mysterio put ECW on his mask as a tribute to his history, when in reality, this wasn't about the history of ECW, this pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. This was about the future of the newly branded ECW, which is going to include Sabu and Kurt mm-hmm. Angle and Big Show and those guys. So the fact that the commentators were kind of 
turning Rey Mysterio, who, I mean, I, I pointed out that he's doing his underdog, he's doing his run as the underdog because he's never been more loved than mm-hmm. he was at that time. Like, like everywhere he went, it was like, I can't believe we finally have a champion. And I think the commentators were actually taking something really nice that he did and kind of twisting it so it turned mm-hmm. him, like you just said, for that night into a bad guy. Yeah, and again, to your point, 06 was absolutely his year. Yeah. Everything he did that year, overcoming uh, Randy Orton, uh, one of his bitter rival to this day, um, was really incredible. And then you pair him against Sabu, and they're calling it from the outset a dream match. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. I loved Sabu. I was going to say, if I if I was huge into Rob Van Dam, like Sabu was number two, because some of the stuff he would do was absolutely crazy. And like the weird, the weird thing was like it took me – unfortunately coming to work for WWE that you realize just how brutally awful all these hardcore matches and extreme rules matches and ECW rules matches, how brutal they were on bodies and everything. And they're just smashing each other with the chairs and the table spots and later in the night with the McFoley edge match and everything. So me, the like the little kid, and then also in high school, was like, "Yeah, this is awesome." And yeah. then I get old, like, "Oh, I feel so bad for you." <laughs> and everything. So thank you for doing that. You guys are psychotic, but thank you for doing that. You know? But then Sabu is like, "Yeah, but this is kind of what I do. So yeah, let's try not to." Yeah, please, please don't say that I shouldn't be doing this because right. this is how I put food on the table. So, <laughs> as a matter of fact, this is how I put food on the broken table. Oh my god! Ah, <laughs> They're all broken just, in my just, house. You're just the worst. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the match was insane. And then again, the, the 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 moment where Ray's head went through the table and it looked like at least pretty darn close, like right into the ground. I love that one of the worst spots to this day. I love that you said that you didn't, you couldn't really tell if that was supposed to be the ending of the match or not, because mm-hmm. that was the thing about Sabu. And if you go back through Sabu's history, there are so many. Way more, I think, than with any other wrestler ever. There are so many Sabu moments where you're like, I can't understand. Like, I don't know what's supposed to be happening here and what's real life anymore. Because Sabu would, I mean, he'd mess up every move. And then he would just go and do it again. You know, I mean, how many times would he set up a chair to jump off the chair onto the ropes Every Mm -hmm. time the chair would fall. He'd just, all right, let me set it back up again and do it again. But like he, it was, well, some guys would get like, ugh. It's just this dogged determination that I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I don't care what happens to my body. And that's what endeared him to that audience is because it's like they want to see it. And they're like, oh, like, because if you got upset with yourself and ticked off and everything, then they'd be like, oh, screw you and everything. But he just went for it every single time. And they're like, yeah, no matter what, he's going to do something outrageous. So, I mean, one of the classic moments in the original ECW was the born to be wired barbed wire match between Terry Funk and Sabu with the title on the line. And that match is amazing because, I mean, halfway through, he literally rips his bicep, like, mm-hmm. off his arm, Sabu, with mm-hmm. barbed wire by mistake. Mm-hmm. He has to tape his arm back together so mm-hmm. he can keep going with the match. But Sabu ends up winning the ECW championship. And to this day, I don't know if he was supposed to win that match or not because Sabu and Terry Funk, by the end of it, were literally stuck together in pieces in barbed wire like barbed wire just wrapped around the two of them Sabu Mm -hmm. was just kind of on top of them the referee counted the three and then they had to spend a half an hour with wire cutters trying to get them free but I'm going I think they just had to end this thing and and Sabu became the champion because of it just just get it over with just let these guys get out of the building alive yeah to the point about the 06 match and everything they get so many good shots of Sabu's back and Mm -hmm. his chest and his arms and like it's true to the 
character, but it's also the man having put himself through all that. Mm-hmm. It's just gruesome to look at and to even think about. So, and but again, the match that he had with Ray was fun to watch and everything. It yeah. was it was brutal. Um, but then the way it ended, I'd probably have to ask Ray at some point. Be like, hey, was that the way that was supposed to go? And just, yeah, you know, you I got to. it as a fan, and I'm just glad they're all okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, you're just glad okay, you have the ability to ask Ray Mysterio at this point. Are you okay? Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, hey, 2006. Are you okay? It's like that's another cool thing to have calls over Ray's matches. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And this is, this is to the point in the pay-per-view, I think, where stuff starts to take a turn, and it's like, okay, this is where ECW is going to differentiate itself as a brand. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. would it end up doing that? I, I, I think that we should let ECW One Night Stand 2006 live kind of on its own. Because mm-hmm. everything that happened after it was a bit of a disaster, but it was just very different, and it evolved into a different sort right. of product and everything like that. So that's that was was special for me uh, watching that. You're in the Hammerstein Ballroom, right? Um, it was a lot of hope for the future. It was all these mainstays of ECW coming with, um, but in a vacuum, that show is spectacular. That's where it should be in a vacuum. So. We go from the Extreme Rules match between Sabu and Rey Mysterio. It ends in a no contest. Mm-hmm. Rey Mysterio keeps the title. The fans don't get outraged because I think, like you, they couldn't tell if what you know. You, it, you just it, wanted both guys to be okay. Exactly. You, know, like, you were like, dude, this is brutal. Um, exactly. Yeah, totally different. So then you move on to the another Extreme Rules match. This time it's intergender, and it's Edge, Lita, and Mick Foley yep. versus Beulah, Terry Funk. And Tommy Dreamer. And I mean, this match is absolutely insane. And what strikes me really about this match is, you know, we've seen Terry Funk. This is what Terry Funk does. This is the type of match he does. We've seen Tommy Dreamer do this before. But for Edge, at this point, and Mick Foley to some extent, but again, I think Mick Foley is going, you know what? I got one left in me. Let me show him how we did this thing. Mm -hmm. But for Edge... At this point in his career, I mean, Edge was so hot mm-hmm. at this point in his career. Um, one of the top bad guys in all of WWE. For him to go out there and say, "You know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it the way you guys do it. I'm not gonna be overly protective of myself. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take a lot of risks in mm-hmm. this match and create something that people are gonna remember for a long time." And my God. My God. Well, so, and then it's the, the challenge of how do you give them what they're looking for, but also make them hate you in the process. Yes. And Edge and Lita and Mick in that match were masters. First of all, I love how it began as not a mixed tag team match and then a uh, mixed gender tag team match. And then out comes Beulah McGillicuddy. Yep. Which it's like, <laughs> the, like Joey Styles is like, oh my God, it's Beulah McGillicuddy. Everything it was super cool. Yeah. Um, and Tommy Dreamer's out there with Terry Funk. So, I looked this up before you and I did this, is that Terry Funk, um, again, has retired and come out of retirement multiple times and everything, but uh, according to the internet, I'm pretty sure his last match was in 2017. Mm -hmm. Just put that into perspective. This is 2006 (laughs) when this is happening and everything, and the way this match ends with him in barbed wire and his eye like all bandaged up and there's just blood everywhere. And then he kept going for another 11 years, <laughs> according to the internet. I hope that's, I don't know if that's right or wrong. I'm sure it's wrong or right. I don't know. Who cares a crap, but at the same time, he went still, on for a long time. He's been around for a long time and he's doing this at that age in 2006. And it was just, 
uh, oh god i don't even know how to describe it it's especially brutal. and i mean and think about before it you know if you watch beyond the mat and it's like 1997 and terry funk's going you know i think it's i think it's time to to lay to put the boot to, to put to, to retire i i don't think i have any more left in me and you know. and he did that every other year for yeah. about 20 years uh, a lot of guys have the, the funny thing to me is that um uh again mick and edge had this crazy insane match at wrestlemania that then sets this up and they are very quickly able to go from two guys trying to kill each other to mick being like oh yeah no we're, we're buddies now and then building up to this and we talked about every guy of wwe walked into that pay-per-view as the bad guy and everything and mick for him to be able to turn that around in a you know about a couple of months or something like that yeah pretty wild because the support for him going into wrestlemania was strong and like you know and the support for him from ecw fans like to have the ecw fans treat you as a wwe guy although you know and it almost it's almost poetic because when mick foley was in ecw he became a heel by embracing, by calling Eric Bischoff Uncle Eric and deciding to not do anything hardcore because it's exactly what fans wanted from him. And it was some mm -hmm. of the best stuff that he had done up to that point. Yeah, brilliant. It was yeah. great. This um, match was pretty gruesome. They had to cut Terry Funk out of the, the barbed wire at the end. Which you lo uh, I love that. They stayed on camera with that the whole time and everything. Just yeah. slowly picking him and like kind of Joey Styles was like, well, somebody please get him out of the barbed wire. <laughs> like, it's just you're cringing watching this. And the whole time, him and Taz are just, they're, they're, you can tell their stomachs are turning as they're I, calling this match. And they're probably genuinely concerned. I'm sure they were. You should have been. Like, the amount of blood that, like, when Terry first gets taken out, um, because, like, there's the cut over his eyes, screaming, my eye, my eye, and <laughs> oh everything. My God. That's left on the mat under the turnbuckle is sizable. And you're like, this is bad. Like, this is, like, to the point where you're worried. And then him coming through the crowd with the barbed wire through my floor. <laughs> and just been like, I'm not done. It's like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And it's just so funny because like, you know, you want to say like the, Terry Funk going, my eye, my eye. It's like, yeah. it's, a, uh, it's a little over the top with the my eye stuff. But then you look at it and the, the, the visual evidence of what's happening in front of you going, oh my God, his eye, his eye. Yeah. It's not Vader in Japan, but it's like, it's still yeah. it's pretty bad. Yes, yeah. yes, exactly. Um, so we keep it up with the kind of, uh, brutality and real ECW style by going into the Balls Mahoney Masato Tanaka match. Now, yeah. I love that Masato Tanaka's on this pay-per-view. He was on the, the first one night stand in a match with Mike Awesome. Uh, I mean, the stuff he did in ECW, incredible. Um, and Balls Mahoney. I mean, what, what, what can you say about Balls Mahoney? The, yeah, the, if there was going to be a guy in the ECW, his name was going to be Balls Mahoney. The hardcore <laughs> chair swinging freak from Nutley, New Jersey? So, ironically, uh, I don't know if Sarah Schreiber is aware of this. I'm sure she is, that Sarah Schreiber is also from Nutley, New Jersey. Whoa, can so, she swing uh, a chair that well? I, we should find out. I'm talking about a juxtaposition in personality. <laughs> How great would it be if she just started showing up with, like, uh, steel chairs that were painted with just Schreiber written on top. And like... I'd, love, I'd love that turn. That'd be really <laughs> great. Um, no, this match was kind of just like a something to pick you up off the map because of how awful that previous match was with uh, with Mick and Edge and, and Terry and Dreamer and everything. Um, but to your point, it was funny how the commentators uh, did take the time to throw some shade on Mike Awesome because mm -hmm. of everything Mike Awesome did in departing ECW and then heading to WCW and everything. And to the point you said... 
Awesome versus Tanaka was one of the best matches in ECW history, and they are still bitter about that guy leaving the company and everything. And they have every right to be. It makes sense in the in retrospect. Um, but yeah, I mean, it led to powerful. it led to uh, Mike Awesome showing up in WCW led to Taz mm-hmm. leaving WWE for a night to go to ECW to get the title away from Mike Awesome. So you had. WWE's Taz versus WCW's Mike Awesome at an ECW show, mm-hmm. and I'm sitting there going, that has to be the only time in history Vince McMahon, Paul Heyman, and Eric Bischoff will work together at the same time. Am I right or what? That'll never happen again. <laughs> that, that, should, that will never that will, happen again. I mean, it might. You think so? <laughs> I don't think. No way. No, no. way. Yeah, what well, the internet, you know, they'll handle it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> amazing though, amazing, uh, uh, amazing the ball. And and this is also like Balls Mahoney and Masato Tanaka are just like, okay, I know you've seen the fire and the barbed wire and the tables and whatnot. How about two guys that are just going to hit each other as hard as they can? Mm-hmm. Would yeah, you like to see I mean, that? And I go, yes, I would like to see that. Yeah, that's great. Um, there's a handful of guys in WWE now today that's still, it's like every once in a while, it's like, yeah, this one, like, they're going to beat the hell out of each other. Right. And when all goes according to plan and everything and everybody's all right in the end, those are fun to watch if you can pull them off. Yeah. Now, this is the moment. This is uh, the Tom Phillips moment. This is the moment of the show. This is the Rob when, Van Dam, John Cena match. Oh, I thought you were going to say when JBL comes out and just lambaste the crowd because <laughs> the year before he destroyed oh, uh, it's one of my favorite JBL moments of all time on tv one of the best that the year before when he did no five and then just for him to come out no six and just be like yep dude forget about you and taz is like no one invited you to come here like, <laughs> just getting booed out of the building i mean you talk about a guy we talked about this with jerry lawler earlier but you talk about a guy who is not afraid of heat jbl <laughs> coming out there and just not only not because you know the blue meanie thing you know luckily jbl and blue meanie are on good terms again the blue meanie talks about it and and they turned it into a storyline and they did a whole thing but i mean at the time a year before this fans were legitimately pissed at jbl and him yeah they wanted to end him and the, the five version again with all the Raw and SmackDown guys up in the balcony of the Hammerstein Ballroom and Heyman cutting, you know, that scathing promo on those guys and everything. It was one of the greatest moments ever. Yeah. Uh, because it was so much fun. Uh, the Matt Hardy thing was in play at that time and everything. So it was really interesting just how he just, they were just like, yeah, let's do it again. This worked out so well last year. <laughs> right. Let's do it again to these fans. <laughs> let's play on all that. Just as they've kind of thinking that they may be over it, let's remind right. them. Let's yeah. remind them. A of... long national nightmare continues. JBL yeah. is back in the Hammerstein <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and he just was, uh, he just enjoys it so mm-hmm. much. He just, you oh. know, you, you see guys that you can tell, they're like, ooh, I didn't want people to hate me that much. And JBL's like, no, please more. More. Ooh, no, more. No, that's perfect. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But you're, that's to your right. point. The moment we're all waiting for. Yeah. No, that was magic with JBL, though. But um, we could also probably do a JBL Appreciation Podcast about all of his bad guy stuff because it's just, I mean, it's never I'm ending. Sure and the it's feedback great. on Twitter will be great. You know, that'll be, go really well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 A JBL. I'll do a whole JBL appreciation series just to keep the Sam Roberts heat going. <laughs> John, John has blocked more people on social media than some people that are certified on social media have followers. 
It's incredible. He's Jesse. And then he keeps on moving. He keeps on moving. Um, But Rob Van Dam versus John Cena is the big match. And this is walking in. Like, so both titles are on the line. The ECW championship. We're going to name an ECW champion. And the WWE championship is on the line. Mm -hmm. Um, John Cena is the WWE's golden boy at this point. He's, He's established this is the guy we're going with. He's not dissimilar from Roman Reigns maybe two or two years ago or so where you're like okay clearly Roman Reigns is starting to establish his presence as the man and some fans like it and some fans don't and that's where John Cena was I think at this moment and the the you know the sort of uh uh 18 to 50 year old men especially in New York weren't the biggest fans of it in the world but Mm. You go and you know what WWE likes, or you think you do as a fan, right? You're like, no, John Cena is the WWE guy. This is what Vince wants. And no matter what the vibe in that arena was, no matter, you know, there's an ECW TV show coming to sci-fi that WWE is producing, all this is happening. And still, I mean, I remember watching as a fan and going as much as I want to see that moment. Clearly... Rob Van Dam is not going to beat John Cena for the WWE Championship. It's just mm-hmm. not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And to your point also that we talked about earlier, money in the bank getting cashed in. Yeah. Notice it's like this spells disaster for Rob, yes. but at the same time, you can't discount him being in the Hammerstein Ballroom. It's an ECW pay-per-view. It's an ECW show altogether. So there's so many things to make you second-guess yourself walking into that. Right, like, if there ever was a time for Rob Van Dam to win this match, it would be now, but he's still not mm-hmm. going to win. Like, that's, what, that's what's going on in my mind. How wonderful are these fans, though, the fact that John Cena cannot give his shirt away. He throws it into the audience, they throw it back. He throws it to somebody else, they throw it back. He throws it to the third side, they throw it back. Nobody wants that shirt. And no, John Cena. a good amount of time on that, too. So great. So great. It's just getting booze rained down on him. There's no polarizing. There's no, well, you know, freedom of speech. Oh, no. Everybody mm-hmm. in the Hammerstein Ballroom on that night hates John Cena, and nobody wants his stinking T-shirt. It was the Boston Red Sox walking into yes. Yankee Stadium. yes. Yes. Anywhere else in the world, you're going to find Red Sox fans. But in the Bronx, it's not going to happen. Uh-uh. Right. Right. And, and, and they have this match. And again, I, I feel like everybody knows in that building, right? Because everybody in that building is like you. They're Rob Van Dam fans. Mm-hmm. And you're sitting there going, Rob Van Dam should win this match. Mm-hmm. Rob Van Dam, is, he's the, he should win this match. And you're right. going... Okay, okay, okay. Like, this is going to be a close one. This is going to be a close one. This is going to be a close one. For me as a fan, when Rob Van Dam wins the match and he puts that spinner title on his shoulder, Mm -hmm. I'm going, I can't believe it. ECW has won. Yeah. I mean, mind blowing. It was the, it, it was a lot of things all at once. And again, it was this that that show in a vacuum about what they were about to become on sci-fi and everything in terms of looking towards the future it changed a lot of people's perspective about what ecw was going to become in that moment Mm -hmm. and then at the same time you're off of the invasion angle and everything and so many times that you've seen a an ecw guy or a wcw guy hold a wwe title or a wcw title or something like that so things like that had happened before but never to this 
magnitude, so to speak. There, there are certainly moments that were uh, comparable, but at the same time, that night, that location, that building, just everything the game came together at the perfect time. And I don't know if there was a better guy in terms of Rob Van Dam to represent ECW at that time to win the title. It all worked out perfectly. Yeah, in that night. I mean, because mm-hmm. everything after that night was not perfect. You know, Very they, different. Yeah, because ECW starts to get... Uh, well, I don't know if we want to do this. I don't know if we... Uh, we're probably not going to have more of those Sabu Rey Mysterio type matches. We're probably not going to have any more of those intergender barbed wire type matches. We're trying to, you know, run a company we, here. We, we can't... like to not staple human beings back <laughs> together every other night. I can understand why the barbed wire went away. Yeah, we can't do that, you know, or we're not going... Maybe we could, we're not going to do that. We're making mm-hmm. the conscious yeah. choice not to do it's that. Olay that problem. Right. <laughs> You know, Rob Van Dam uh, unfortunately ends up getting suspended, so, you know, that title run ends up getting cut short. Whatever it could have been or would have been ended up not being because things happen. Um, And, you know, ECW on sci-fi, WWE CW ends up having the legacy that it ended up having. It's still all on the WWE Network, and it's interesting. It's 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 a great case study, and it's interesting to watch. But I think that you're right on the money, Tom. When you say that, yeah, don't think about what happens after this pay-per-view. Don't think about what happens after this night. Enjoy. If you can enjoy One Night mm-hmm. Stand 2006 in a vacuum, you've got an amazing show. You've got an amazing story being told. And you will leave that show. If you're not thinking about what actually happens, you will leave that show with nothing but hope and joy for the future. You you should be stumping for office or something like that. This is breathtaking stuff. Yes. Well, yeah, um, especially because it's like it happened like 13 years ago and we all know what happened. It's like, no, 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 no. Don't yeah, stop like, thinking about that. Okay. Yeah, just put the horse blinders on for a moment. It's kind of yes. like watching uh, like movies that like I don't like John Wick 2, but John Wick 1, just remember that John Wick 1 happened and that was awesome. Do you not? Oh, do you like John Wick 2? Okay. First of all. The fact that you don't like John Wick 2 is making me question this whole decision to have you on the show. Well, back up. It, it makes no sense in John Wick 2 because everybody is an assassin. Of course everybody they are. Everybody. There's a lot. Of, it's a whole underground network. Okay, listen. In the first one, I can understand it. His wife passed away. They, you know, they kill his dog and they steal his car and everything. I'm yeah. like, yo, he's got license to do whatever he wants. And he does. And it's a wonderful movie. And it makes all the sense in the world. Fantastic. But the second one, everybody is an assassin. There's a lot of assassins out there, Tom. You don't understand because you don't live in the underground world, but there are a lot of assassins out there. <laughs> I do want to go to that suit place in Italy, though, because I yeah. have a lot of questions. You see John Wick 3? No, I need to go it's, see it at some point. It's I made, incredible. So I made the mistake of, uh, I saw John Wick 1, I forget when, but I saw it on my own, and then I saw John Wick 2 with my wife, and 10 minutes into that movie, she leans into me, she was like, Keanu Reeves is not a good actor. Oh, and I was like, well, yeah, I, you know like, what? Listen, again, in a vacuum, we're not, here for him. <laughs> We're not here to see him win an Oscar. We're here to see him reload and load and do all sorts of crazy things. And then the Keanu that's living in our universe right now is mm-hmm. probably the best Keanu we ever had. So my message to the world, and I reiterate what you just said, is that appreciate your wrestling then and now mm-hmm. for what it is in the moment. Because we get caught up in the episodic, we get caught up in the projections and the right. predictions and everything. And if you take the time to just sit back and enjoy the movie enjoy the experience as it is i promise you it'll be a lot more entertaining yeah what type of person are you are you the type of person that whispers over to tom phillips keanu reeves is not very good in this movie or are you the type of person and your wife is a lovely amazing person (laughs) but but i'm more just taking that one 
incident, are you that person or are you the person that just sits there and thinks to yourself, man, Keanu Reeves, he's the man. And that's it. And you don't sit there and go like, but is he? I wonder if he actually, you go, no, because John Wick 1 and John Wick 2 and John Wick 3 and Bill and Ted. And so Caddyshack the... 1 and Caddyshack 2 probably would have been a better example. Is that Would that make you happy? Did, <laughs> you like Caddyshack 2 for some reason? Like, are you insane? Look, no, I'm not talking about Caddyshack 2. I'm talking about John Wick 2, and it's a great movie. And you're wrong on this one, and it was spoiled for you because you came in with uh, bias because your wonderful wife was like, I don't like this. And you were like, when you're watching a movie with somebody who doesn't like the movie – it skews your perspective. Your perspective. She has much better taste than I do, so that's probably why she thought that, and not, not she in... would beat up anybody in a dark alley that would give her a contradictory opinion. Well, so. I know how to knife fight like John Wick. Okay, so <laughs> she will knife you right back. <laughs> I bet she will. I'm sure she will. Well, Tom, uh, as much as your taste in movies is questionable, your taste in wrestling is not. This is a great show. I'm glad that you picked two, uh, One Night Stand 2006. I'm glad that it gave me a chance to go in and as a fan just kind of revisit all of it because that's what it's all about. It's about finding a reason to be nostalgic about mm-hmm. shows like this. And this, to me, is a perfect show to be nostalgic about. So good choice. Good choice. And, and how timely is it that as of the time we're taping this, two weeks from Sunday, streaming live on the WWE Network, it's the Extreme Rules pay-per-view from the greatest city in the world, the mm-hmm. home of Extreme, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and where it, I am right now. It's in, wonderful. Interestingly, you get there early. Interestingly <laughs> enough, the Extreme Rules pay-per-view is the One Night Stand pay-per-view. It goes One Night Stand, was in two, it started in 2005. Mm-hmm. In 2006, they do the show that we talked about. They did mm-hmm. another one. I believe the last one was in 2007. Tane was on the poster, if I remember correctly. But it was right. it was not an ECW pay-per-view. It was just WWE One Night Stand. Mm-hmm. And it was just the sort of the one night where the rules go out the window, mm-hmm. which you get to the next year, and they go, well, if it's the one night where we do things extreme rules, why don't we just call it extreme rules? And they go, you know what? That's probably a better idea. Branding, baby. And that's where extreme rules comes from. Extreme rules is what One Night Stand was, and that's coming up in uh, – and we've got a, a an intergender tag match at Extreme Rules. I can only imagine that when Becky and Seth get in there with Corbin and Lacey, we're going to see barbed wire. We're going to see fire. <laughs> we're going to see tables and chairs. It's going to be incredible. It should be interesting. Uh, <laughs> I only hope that Beulah McGillicuddy makes a run in at some point. Definitely. And, uh, bring the whole thing full circle. Definitely. Uh, of course, you can hear the wonderful voice of Tom Phillips on SmackDown every Tuesday night on the USA Network um, and, you know, on, on pay-per-views on the WWE Network. Uh, thanks, as always, Tom Phillips, and, uh, and as again, great choice. Thank you for having me, man. I'll, uh, I'll probably see you in Philly. You bet. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yes, it is time for this week's State of Wrestling right here on Not Sam Wrestling. You know what we do each and every week. Countdown the top five stories in the world of sports entertainment, according to yours truly, the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. Now, because of where we're at this week uh, and how busy this weekend is, we're going to have a lot of, uh, of preview. We're going to have a lot of, uh, of uh, 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 lead-ins. I mean, there's three really big wrestling shows this weekend that are all going to be televised for everybody to see. Two of them... Well, I guess technically, if you have the WWE Network, all three of them are free. Technically, I suppose. 
If you don't subscribe to the WWE Network, you can subscribe for free and get two of them anyway. Um, but, yeah. Theoretically, if you do not subscribe to the WWE Network at the time that I am talking to you, you can get all three events for free this weekend. That's pretty spectacular based on... Uh, what these events are. Uh, you know, the pro wrestling world has a lot to live up to. I feel like this week, uh, I don't know if you guys follow me on social media or you listen to the Jim Norton and Sam Roberts radio show, but between uh, the family getting into a fatal four-way at Toontown and Disneyland and the short guy getting beat up in the bagel store, this week just pro wrestling in life, entertaining fights happening throughout life have become major competition to the WWE. Oh, and, I mean, even in the wrestling world, maybe AEW is smart enough to figure out that we need to get on this viral train. As a matter of fact, let's call it story number five because just as I'm watching a short guy get beat up in a bagel store, just as I'm watching uh, a family of, actually, I think it was a family of five, including the mom, a family of five get into a fatal five-way in the middle of Toontown at Disneyland. I thought I was almost going to see a fight like that happen at a Blink-182 concert in New Jersey. And you're probably going, Sam... Okay, short guy at a bagel store, maybe. Family of five at Disneyland, hard to believe. But I am not going to sit there and let you convince me that there was almost a fight at a Blink-182 concert in 2019 in New Jersey. And you're wrong, because story number five is all any of us wrestling fans were talking about on Wednesday, and that's the bad boy Joey Janela, who has been here in the Not Sam studio before, uh, I guess to this podcast, he talked about his cash drawer. Almost getting into a fist fight with Enzo at Blink-182 in New Jersey. Now, for some reason, Enzo decided to post video of this on his Instagram. I don't know why. I don't think either of them look particularly good. The way Joey Janela says it, he went up to him and said hello, and then Enzo tried to start a fight with him. The way Enzo said it, it was more like Joey Janela came up to him and started... Uh, talking some of uh, what they call uh, that smack. I don't know exactly how it happened. By the time the video started that Enzo posted on his Instagram, uh, it was already into it, and Enzo was putting up his dukes. Uh, Enzo was certainly going towards Janela as Janela was backing away. Joey Janela's got to realize, okay? I understand that Enzo is at this place in his career right now where he's kind of got nothing to lose, but Joey Janela has defied the odds. This is a guy who I watched go into, like, seizures, literally seizures in a half-empty ice skating rink from falling onto a ring apron. This is a guy who jumped up there with Zandig and fell off a roof through light bulbs and barbed wire and fire into a truck that could have slash should have killed him, okay? This is a guy who was not designed for mainstream success, and I don't say that with any disrespect. I say he was not designed for mainstream success because of the route that he's taking. He's taking a route that is far more late 90s based than 2019 based. However, an organization that is forming up to be a national company that is on pay-per-view, that is about to be on TNT in primetime every single week, has seen what a lot of us, myself included, see in Joey Janela, which is a lot of raw, untapped, fantastic talent and the ability to captivate an audience, the ability to make an audience look at him and go, I'm interested in this bad boy. I'm interested in Joey Janela. 
That's what Joey Janela's got. That's what AEW saw. But if you're going to be on TNT in primetime every week, you can't be getting into fights with Enzo at Blink-182. You can't do it. You can't. Can you imagine seeing a WWE superstar, seeing Seth Rollins getting into a fight with somebody like Enzo at Blink-182? And no disrespect to Enzo. But he's not affiliated with a major company right now. If there was ever a time in his life where he could get into a fight at Blink-182 in New Jersey, now would be it. Joey Janela, two years ago, he could fight everybody at Blink-182 in Jersey. Everybody. It would only do good for him. It would only, the buzz would only be good. Now, the Khan family doesn't want one of their guys fighting Enzo at Blink-182, and I think Joey Janela knew that. That's why he was backing away. He's like, I'm not going to fight this guy right now. I finally have an opportunity to go mainstream. This is big for me. I'm not going to screw it all up because people are going to go, oh, weren't you supposed to be like a household name in AEW? And then he'd have to go, yeah, but then I got into a fight with Enzo at Blink-182 in New Jersey. And they were like, what, like in the TRL days? And he's like, no, in 2019. You can't have it. It can't happen. So I am glad... As a, as, as a fan of Joey Janela and as somebody who likes the guy, right? I've known him for a very long time. I am glad that this guy had his senses about him and decided not to get into a fight with Enzo Amore at a Blink-182 concert in New Jersey in 2019. I think that shows a lot of smarts. It shows a lot of wisdom. I don't know what he said to Enzo before he went up to him. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe he said stuff about Enzo on Twitter in the past. You know, I wouldn't put that past the bad boy, Joey Janela. Something happened where the two almost got into a fist fight. And it wouldn't have been bad for Enzo. I mean, at this point, you know, Enzo gets the game. Enzo understands that buzz about Enzo is not a bad thing. You know, getting thrown out of a WWE pay-per-view, getting thrown out of Ring of Honor, just kind of all this goofy nonsense. It doesn't hurt Enzo. He's not in any company right now. Joey Janela, it would be bad for. So I'm very glad for the bad boy's sake that he did not end up getting into a fight with Enzo at Blink-182 in New Jersey in 2019. Because all things, I mean, what's next? The next stop is getting into a kickboxing match with somebody at a Smash Mouth concert during Epcot Center. You know what I mean? In the middle of Epcot Center. You can't do that. Not in 2019. What's next? Sugar Ray concerts aren't safe anymore? Come on. Don't do that to me. Don't do that to me. All I want to do is be able to see Lit and Buck Cherry in concert together, preferably in New Jersey in 2019, and not have to worry about any former or current wrestlers getting into fistfights. Enjoy the music. Enjoy the scenery. Have a cocktail if you want to. Have a cotton candy, whatever you want to do. Get yourself a tour t-shirt. Go back to your seat. Don't get into a fight with Enzo. That's the thing. That's the lesson that I would teach any up-and-comer. You know, it's it's wild. There are, every now and then, a young wrestler will come up to me because I've been doing this podcast for so long and ask me if I have any advice for them. And I say, you know, I, I am not in a position. You're a, a wrestler already. You've been training one day. You have more experience than me. I am not in any position to give you advice on what goes on in the ring. But if I could give career advice to any youngster, wrestler or otherwise, I would say if you're trying to be up-and-coming, if you're trying to get the attention of mainstream, don't get into a fight with Enzo at Blink-182, especially in New Jersey in 2019. It's just not a good idea. And I'm glad that, that Joey Janela uh, figured that out. I think it's very, very important. 
Uh, so that's story number five this week for sure. And I think a, a very, very deserving story number five. Story number four is, I mean, pretty much Kevin Owens, but really all of SmackDown. So Raw, Raw ended up not being the change that a lot of people thought it would be. You know, it kind of feels like uh, a couple of segments on Raw last week were designed to be unpredictable, but this week it felt a little bit more familiar, if you will. But over on SmackDown, they are still mixing things up. You know, you still got uh, 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 Shelton Benjamin doing the thing where he's looking all over the place with his eyeballs, whatever that means. Um, Shinsuke Nakamura getting the pinfall over Finn Balor. I mean, come on. Apparently, we're getting back on the Nakamura bandwagon. I'm all for it. Coming out there in that Carmen Sandiego coat and beating Finn Balor like that. I am all for it. And you know what this means. The only thing it could possibly mean, because we are looking, we already have the card for Extreme Rules, and I don't see Finn Balor and Nakamura on the Extreme Rules card. So, you know, with Finn Balor not really defending that Intercontinental title on television all that often... I would think this leads to the Demon versus Nakamura at SummerSlam, which I am there for. Demon versus Nakamura? Yes, please. Thank you. I'm there for it. So that was all good. Uh, But the highlight for probably for me and for certainly a lot of people was the Kevin Owens promo to start SmackDown. Um, Parking Lot Brawl was great. Kevin Owens, now there really has been no explanation as to Kevin Owens' change of heart. I mean, he's saying that he was working so hard to not piss anybody off, and now he's taking the gloves off. But realistically speaking, he's been a bad guy the whole time. All he was doing was pissing people off. So there really hasn't been a ton of explanation as to why all of a sudden he doesn't like Shane McMahon. However, Kevin Owens has made it believable. You know, I don't sit there and and lose sleep over that. I watch Kevin Owens, and I believe him. I believe that he's mad. I believe that this is all going on. So I'm okay with it. Um... I think it's really interesting that Kevin Owens and you know I anytime somebody like goes on there and says what people are thinking people go oh it's the pipe bomb like the, no it's not it's just it's a Kevin Owens promo it's something else um but I love that he uh grabbed Byron's headset just the idea that he's being resourceful he cut off the mic good but now he grabbed Byron's headset not too helpful to the people in the audience but to the people at home I thought it was really helpful. He's mentioning Asuka, who was back on TV, by the way. Asuka and Kaidi Sane, back on TV. Backstage, but still on TV. Um, another match that could be at SummerSlam. More likely probably on an episode of SmackDown, but could be at SummerSlam. Um, yeah, but grabbing Byron's headset, mentioning Asuka, mentioning Buddy Murphy, mentioning all these people that are just not getting any shine on SmackDown, you know, acknowledging the criticism that Shane McMahon is is gobbling up all this television time on both shows. Meanwhile, there are people like Buddy Murphy, who ever since the shakeup, forget about the wildcard rule introduction, since the superstar shakeup hasn't been seen on TV. So I like that that is being acknowledged and being mentioned. Uh, I also think it's interesting that in a time when so many superstars are going on Twitter and, you know, whining about stuff, that Kevin Owens brings that personality to television. And obviously fans are going to enjoy it, but, you know, there there are, for me, holes in the argument that Kevin Owens is complaining about opportunities. This is a guy who was the Universal Champion for quite a while, and 
if we're following along with what's going on, he was made to keep it for quite a while. You know, the people in charge helped him maintain his reign as universal champion. So I get that what he's saying has merit. I can I just find some flaws in his argument. I'll probably bring him up at the kickoff show, quite frankly. Uh, but I thought it was I thought it was great. I thought it's a really good direction for Kevin Owens. You know, I I think uh, there the, the seeds are being planted for a lot of really good directions for a lot of people on SmackDown. I actually think Raw. You know, I like that uh, Braun Strowman, for example, is going back to his roots and going back to Smashy Smashy. We didn't see him on Raw, obviously, but going back to Smashy Smashy. Uh, you know, some people were critical of Bobby Lashley. Like I saw people on Twitter that were thought that the that it was a total waste. Why would you build up a Rey Mysterio return just to squash him? And the answer is it's a bait and switch. You built up a Rey Mysterio. Anybody that thinks that they built up a Rey Mysterio return just to squash him does not understand what they were watching. The Rey Mysterio return was built up to build Bobby Lashley. All these commercial, all this stuff that they were saying, raise back tonight, raise back tonight, raise back tonight. We didn't know it at the time, but what they were really doing was promoting Bobby Lashley. They were building this thing so that when Bobby Lashley comes out, it's a big deal. If they just had Rey Mysterio's music hit and you go, oh, I forgot he was gone. Oh, there's Rey. I wonder what's going on. And then Bobby Lashley comes out and beats him up. It's like, oh, yeah, Bobby Lashley. It just feels like par for the course. If you build up Rey Mysterio's return and then create this Rey Mysterio Invitational or whatever he called it, uh, Wimbledon Cup, where people come out and, and it be, it, it's a different thing, then all of a sudden when Bobby Lashley comes in and acts as a spoiler, number one, it displays him as a monster. Number two, it solidifies him as a villain. You know, I think if you want to portray Bobby Lashley in a main event position, you want Bobby Lashley to be one of the bad guys that has all the eyes, then of course you have him go out there and spoil a moment that you've been building up. That was the role. The the Rey Mysterio segment was designed to make us fans believe that it was a Rey Mysterio segment when in reality it was always a Bobby Lashley segment. So this idea that like, WWE is so stupid that they would build up a Rey Mysterio segment just to squash him. No, the purpose of that segment was not to squash Rey Mysterio. The purpose of that segment was to make Bobby Lashley look like a beast. Bobby Lashley is going into a last man standing match with Braun Strowman at a pay-per-view on Sunday. This is a go-home show. The point of that segment was not to squash Rey Mysterio. Rey Mysterio was a vehicle to put over Bobby Lashley to make Bobby Lashley look as strong and as good as possible. Now, you if you want to argue whether or not Bobby Lashley looked good and looked strong and whether the segment was effective, that's fine. But if the conversation is starting with, why would you bring back Rey Mysterio just to squash him? Then that's not that's not the, that's not what we saw. That's not what happened. It's not about Rey Mysterio right now. And some people are like, well, Rey Mysterio, this isn't the time when he should just be putting people over. Rey Mysterio should be celebrated. He should be doing his victory lap. That's nonsense. Rey Mysterio should be, at this phase in his career, putting people over. Like, Rey Mysterio is not at the point of his career. I don't even think if you, if you talked to Rey Mysterio and you said, hey, would you like to be the champion and work, like, long matches every single night at every single house show? and bust your ass and work a champion schedule, at this point in his career, Rey Mysterio would probably say, no, of course I don't want to do that. 
Why would I want to do that? At this point in my career, that's not what, no. So instead, you take a guy like Rey Mysterio, who is so good. I mean, to I'm this, when I hear Rey Mysterio's music, I get excited. I like Rey Mysterio as a wrestler. I like Rey Mysterio as a person. He's amazing. He's an amazing dude. He's been on the podcast before. You heard him. If you listen to that interview, that interview, I've had many interactions with him since, and he's always that same guy. Rey Mysterio is the man. All that said, I have no problem with him putting people over at this stage in his career. He's got nothing left to prove. Rey Mysterio is a legend's legend. Rey Mysterio is a guaranteed first ballot Hall of Famer. There is nobody like Rey Mysterio. He is a revolution in pro wrestling, especially in America. Come on. Rey Mysterio is one of the all-time greats, and it's impossible to take that away from him. It's like Kurt Angle. You know, getting squashed by Baron Corbin. I almost wish Kurt Angle had not come out on Raw the night after WrestleMania and had that feel-good moment because it's okay for Kurt Angle to go out with, you know, Drew McIntyre humiliating him and Baron Corbin beating him clean and all this stuff because Kurt Angle's one of the greatest of all time and you can never take it away. So if you're at that place where you're already one of the greatest of all time and you can never take it away, if you can sprinkle a little juice... On somebody that's coming up, why not? And that's exactly what he did for Bobby Lashley. Now, you'll say Bobby Lashley's not exactly coming up. You know, he's not a young guy, but still. You know, clearly he's in a position where he's got a... I don't want to say he's got a little bit more in the tank because I don't want it to sound negative toward Rey Mysterio. But clearly he's in a position where where the WWE wants him to be one of their top people. So, of course, this is what you should do. I didn't understand the controversy around it. I thought it was pretty obvious. Uh, one of the amazing things about Raw and SmackDown this week, the advertisements for Evolve, not only during commercial breaks, but in-show advertisements for Evolve. I thought it was uh, uh, amazing to see. It's not like it was, like, shocking. Like, you knew it was coming, but just to see it actually happening was incredible. Now, some people will say, and that's story number three, is Evolve 131, the 10th anniversary of Evolve. It happens at the 2300 Arena, the former ECW Arena, uh, this Saturday um, at 8 p.m., and it's going to air live on the WWE Network. I'm sorry, on the award-winning WWE Network, which is only $9.99 a month, and new subscribers get their first month free. I don't know if you heard. Um, you know, I, I'm... I think it's hypocritical for anybody to be negative about this, and I'll tell you why. Anybody who's negative about this and saying, well, this is just, uh, you know, WWE counter-programming, even if it is, which I could argue it isn't because it's not like, you know, Evolve planned their 10th anniversary show around Fight for the Fallen, AEW. They didn't. They were going to do this show at this time anyway, and WWE decided to put it on the WWE Network. Now... Are they adding a little extra promotion to it? Airing it on the, you know, promos for the WWE Network during Raw and SmackDown in order to compete with AEW? That's possible. We could have a conversation about it. But at the same time, if you're going to show Evolve on your network, you also need to do the legwork to familiarize your audience with who and what Evolve is. So you can argue back and forth to what level this is really uh, counter-programming versus what WWE would have done anyway. Again, you can argue it. What you can't argue is that this is really good for wrestling. What you can't argue is 
everybody said, you know, I'm excited about AEW because I'm excited about uh, competition because it'll make everything better for wrestling in general, for the business in general. Now, you're in a position where before AEW is even on TV, if WWE is really only doing this for AEW, if you're that pessimistic that you think WWE is only doing this to compete with AEW, even if that is the case, what you've now got is Evolve, one of the top independent, they are connected with WWE, but they are still independent, one of the top independent wrestling companies in the world is getting the time of day on the WWE Network? You're getting your wish. Even if this is counter-programming to AEW, you're getting your wish and watching competition already start to make the wrestling industry as a whole better. So if you're acting like this is a bad thing or you're acting butthurt over the fact that this is happening the same time as, as Fight for the Fallen, then uh, you're not keeping that same energy. You're not keeping the same energy that you came in here with. Because this is, this is good news. This weekend is awesome news all around. For everybody. For AEW, for WWE, for Evolve, for the Not Sam Shills, for the $9.99 a month WWE Network, free for new subscribers. It's great news for everybody around. I am so excited to watch Evolve on the WWE Network. Here's what we got for Evolve 131. Uh, so far, already announced. NXT Championship is on the line. Adam Cole defends against Akira Tozawa which I love because these are two guys that came from Evolve. You might be saying, well, they're just throwing NXT guys on here. Not true. Because if they were just trying to do an NXT match on an Evolve show, Tozawa is not getting the title shot. The reason Akira Tozawa is getting the title shot against Adam Cole is because they're representing Evolve. Uh, I, I think that this is going to be great because they're going to be working towards that Evolve crowd, which means they're going to come correct. And Akira Tozawa knows that this is a long way from 205 Live. There's a lot of eyes on him, and he's got the opportunity to blow people away. So uh, I, I think that this match is going to be absolutely insane. You've got the Evolve champion and the WWN champion uh, going one-on-one, -on -one, winner-take-all, Austin Theory versus J.D. Drake. Now, I'm not super familiar uh, with, especially with J.D. Drake, I guess. A little bit more familiar with Austin Theory, but for those of you that are not, watch this match closely because... Austin Theory is on my short list of guys that I want to get on this podcast because Austin Theory is on my short list of guys who are next in line. Austin Theory is on my list of guys on the independents right now that within the next year will be making a big splash. I hope it's in NXT because I'm a WWE loyalist till the day I die. So I hope that he ends up in NXT and then in WWE, but watch Austin Theory in this match. Austin Theory is your taste of the future. You mark my words. The Evolve Tag Team Championship is on the line. You've got Eddie Kingston and Joe Gacy defending against A.R. Fox and Leon Ruff. Um, I am so happy that Eddie Kingston is going to be on the WWE Network. I've known Eddie Kingston for years, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. When I was doing stuff with Jersey All-Pro, Eddie Kingston was there. I just I don't even remember where I met him the first time. He is so entertaining. He is so talented. Uh, I, I just, I, I, and he's one of those guys that you were just like, ah, oh, if only there was a spot for him, but it would probably never happen to watch. I am going to get so much joy out of watching Eddie Kingston on the WWE network. I cannot tell you how happy I am for that guy. And I cannot tell you how happy I am that so many of you guys will be watching Eddie Kingston. I think that that's just great. I think that, and, and that's what, 
a show like this is all about. That's what a show like uh, uh, like Evolve 131 being on the network is all about. Showing guys like Eddie Kingston, showing guys like Austin Theory. You know, I just, it's going to be great. You got a, a catch point reunion match. Matt Riddle versus the Cruiserweight Champion, Drew Gulak. It's amazing. You know, they Drew Gulak, Matt Riddle, staples of Evolve. Um, so cool to see this match back in an Evolve ring while both guys are excelling in the WWE. I mean, Drew Gulak is one of the complete standouts for the entire run of 205 Live to the point where he's actually being called into NXT to work with... Uh, 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 I'm, I'm, whatever. I blanked on his name. I had a brain fart, and I'm gonna kick myself for it later. Um, and Matt Riddle, who's just you know, cleaning up in NXT. I, Drew Gulak versus Matt Riddle is gonna bring down the house. Uh, you got a couple grudge matches: Anthony Henry versus Arturo Ruas. You've got uh, uh, Shotzi Blackheart versus Brandy Lauren. You got a special challenge match: Baba Tunde who uh, you may have seen on NXT live events. And I believe Baba Tunde might have worked one of the Battle Royals for one of the international pay-per-views. Uh, he'll be taking on Kobe Carino, of course, the son of Steve Carino, uh, who is amazing because uh, I remember, like, there's a great, back in the days of being a tape trader, regardless of what some people will tell you, I was indeed a tape trader. RF video shoot interviews were everything. Before there were podcasts, before there were any of this stuff, there was RF video doing shoot interview tapes. And Steve Carino had one of my favorite ones. And he lied the entire time. The whole thing was a goof. And people paid like whatever it was, $20, to get this VHS tape of Steve Carino lying about his entire past. He said he worked under a mask. He was here. He was there. If you can find the RF video Steve Carino shoot interview where he makes the whole thing a goof, it's one of the funniest things. And he keeps it up for like two hours long. It's one of the funniest things you'll ever see. But like Kobe is a little baby then. And to see him all grown up and in a wrestling ring is super cool. He'll be facing Baba Tunde. You got a fatal four-way, Kurt Stallion versus Sean Maluda versus Stephen Wolf versus Harlem Bravado. And then special attraction match, Josh Briggs versus Anthony Green. Look, uh, I think it's so cool that uh, you're going to get to see some of these reunions happening. But I think even more cool is the guys that you're going to get to see for the first time in an Evolve ring uh, on the WWE Network. I mean, that is the type of exposure that guys like this would die for. So I think that that's really, really cool. I think it's going to be an amazing show. And I can't wait to watch it. Saturday night, also Saturday night, story number two is Fight for the Fallen. Fight for the Fallen goes down. Now, this is going down the same way that Fighter Fest went down. To my knowledge, Fight for the Fallen is another free AEW show. Uh, it's going to be on the Bleacher Report app. Um, it's, uh, uh, they're doing the buy-in first, hopefully on the buy-in, they won't have any sponsor matches or, or any librarians or weirdness. Um, it'll be interesting to see what I'm really looking forward to seeing is, you know, I felt like, uh, all, not all out. What was the first one? Uh, double or nothing was like an introduction to AEW. Fighter Fest was that first follow-up pay-per-view where it was like, okay, now we're establishing the brand. Now only, what was it, two, three weeks after Fighter Fest? You've got another show, Fight for the Fallen, where we are really looking at continuing now, continuing momentum, continuing storylines. So it'll be really interesting to watch AEW's identity as a company grow and to see if they've learned from mistakes and to see if they've picked up on what they're doing well and repeating that. 
You know, I, that that's really what I'm interested in seeing on Saturday with this AEW card. Uh, you've got Brandy Rhodes versus Allie in women's match. You got uh, Hangman Page versus Kip Sabian. I believe, you know, we saw Kip on commentary at Fighter Fest. I believe this will be Hangman Page's last match before the big uh, match with Jericho at All Out. Of course, Jericho is being advertised as being at this show, and he will have a live microphone. You're going to have SoCal Uncensored, Frankie Kazarian, and Scorpio Sky going against the Lucha Brothers. be interesting. Uh, Kenny Omega is going one-on-one with Sema. You got a six-man tag. This This is on the buy-in, which is a little surprising to me because a lot of these people, yeah, I mean, four to me really got made at uh, Fighter Fest. So it's interesting to me that you wouldn't put like uh, maybe the Hangman Page match or Brandy Rhodes versus Allie or one of those matches on the on the buy-in. I would not put this match on the buy-in. This is a match that's going to establish people even further. And I feel like you need to give people the confident... You need to cue fans to have the confidence in these guys by putting them on the pay-per-view that, that fans will be confident that they deserve to be on the pay-per-view. That's a little convoluted way of saying it, but it makes sense, I think, if you really think about it. Six-man tag, Joey Janela, who did not fight Enzo Amore at a Blink-182 concert in New Jersey in 2019, but almost did. Uh, Jimmy Havoc and Darby Allen. Now, on that team, uh, Jimmy Havoc is doing great, but I feel like Joey Janela in his match with John Moxley and Darby Allen in his match with Cody Rhodes, specifically in that coffin drop onto the apron, both got made at Fighter Fest. So at Fight for the Fallen, for them to be on the buy-in is a little confusing. But they'll be taking on Sean Spears, MJF, and Sammy Guevara, who, again, MJF and Sean Spears both got made at Fighter Fest as well. You know, Sean Spears, this is the first time we're seeing him. So you have to believe that what we saw at... Uh, Double or nothing doesn't count. That was Sean Spears getting eliminated from a battle royal by a man with no legs. You know, you have to imagine that that was a fluke. And the real Sean Spears, the beginning of the Sean Spears story in AEW is, you know, leveling Cody Rhodes with that chair. I think it led to a lot of curiosity in who Sean Spears was and why he was and what he's doing here. So I would have thought that uh, that match would happen on the main card. But then, who knows? Maybe we'll see Sean Spears interfere in the main event of Fight for the Fallen. Uh, and MJF too, you know, I feel like MJF is being built up and built up as this sort of one of the top bad guys in the company. So I feel like, uh, all of these guys would really benefit tremendously from being on the main show. Uh, and then of course the main event, the match that was set up at a, uh, at all in the young bucks versus Cody and Dustin Rhodes, uh, which, you know, it's going to be great. It's going to bring the house down. So I, I have no doubt that that'll be a good show. Um, and we will talk about it, everything that happens there next week. You got a pack card, story number one this week. Extreme Rules goes down Saturday night on the award-winning WWE Network. It's Saturday night, Sunday night. Saturday night is Evolve. Sunday night is uh, Extreme Rules. Now, I don't know what the deal is with the replays on Bleacher Report. I didn't really look at it because I watched uh, Fighter Fest live. So I don't know if you can go on and get a replay. I wish I had checked out actually right before I signed on. I don't know if you can get a replay, but that's probably one way of figuring out if you're going to watch Evolve or Fight for the Fallen live. Obviously, on the WWE Network, stuff sticks around. But I would imagine there'll be a replay 
of Fight for the Fallen on Bleacher Report. I mean, right now in my head, my plan, if I were sitting at home, would be to watch Evolve Live and then Fight for the Fallen right after. That would be my preference, but who knows if it's possible. But either way, Sunday night, Sunday night is for Extreme Rules. Extreme Rules Sunday, um, and we got a big card. We got 10 matches announced so far for Extreme Rules. Uh, I would imagine that at least one of them will be on the kickoff show, probably the Cruiserweight Championship, although I wouldn't mind seeing the Raw Tag Team Championship on the pre-show, just for this show. Um, But the Raw Championship just announced Revival versus the Usos. It's going to be great. I say Revival all the way. Uh, Last man standing, Braun Strowman versus Bobby Lashley. Look, dude, you you can be as cynical as you want about Braun Strowman, Bobby Lashley, WWE, Raw, whatever you want to do. But you know this is going to be a spectacle. You know that this is going to be an awesome match to watch. You know there's going to be something amazing happening. Things are going to get smashed. Whoever cannot answer that 10 count, there's going to be a huge reason why they can't. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's Bob, uh, 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 Braun Strowman who can't answer that 10 count. Uh, you got Ricochet versus AJ Styles in a singles match for the U.S. Championship. AJ Styles has found his way. I love that he's back to being paired with Gallows and Anderson. I love that the club is back. I love that AJ Styles has some edge to him. Um, either way, I think we're in good shape. If AJ Styles wins, it'll be fun to see the the club with the United States Championship. If Ricochet wins, uh, I think it'd be cool to see him have a moment where he beats AJ Styles. Probably my 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 pick would be to have Ricochet win, have the club beat him down, and have a rematch happen at SummerSlam because I don't see Ricochet versus AJ Styles ever being a match that you get tired of. Uh, Alistair Black's challenge has been answered. Cesaro is the man that answers the challenge. I think Cesaro is perfect. I read someone on, a couple people online going like, well, it'll be Bray Wyatt that answers Aleister Black's challenge. That's stupid. And I'll tell you why. When Bray Wyatt finally competes again in a WWE ring, he's got to win his match. When Aleister Black finally competes again in a WWE ring, he's got to win his match. You're spending weeks and weeks and weeks building up both these guys. To have them fight each other, Somebody's got to lose. So you're automatically blowing your spot on one of them. If you're going to spend all this time building these two separate characters, to have them immediately fight each other and blow the buildup for one of them is stupid. So the idea that it'll be Cesaro, I absolutely think Aleister Black is going to win this, but I think it'll be another opportunity for Cesaro to show up, to have an amazing match, and to show everybody what he's capable of. And I am really happy that we're getting to a point where we're going to see Aleister Black back in the ring because I just think the world of him as a performer. Um, I see uh, uh, King Kong 1993 in the Discord room says that uh, Finn Balor should be added to the club. Not yet. Not yet. Not unless he's going to lose to uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. See, here's the problem with Finn Balor being added to the club. Then you've got two leaders. You've got to pick. Do you want Finn Balor as the leader, or do you want AJ Styles as the leader? It doesn't work if it's a four-man group. The point is that Gallows and Anderson are the muscle to the leader of the club. Finn Balor is not going to take second place to AJ Styles right now, and AJ Styles is not going to take second place to Finn Balor. Let Finn Balor have his run as a good guy. Give it time. Let it breathe a little bit. There is, I'd be, we talked about stupid things. I think it'd be ridiculous today to put Finn Balor with the club. As a matter of fact, I think if you're going to put Finn Balor on the club, give it some time, let Finn Balor do his thing with Nakamura, 
You know, we already started something on SmackDown. That I, He pinned the champion. Clearly Nakamura is going to get a shot at the Intercontinental Championship. And I told you already, where I want to see that is SummerSlam, and I want to see the Demon versus Nakamura. Now, either the Demon beats Nakamura. I don't think Nakamura is going to be the first person to beat the Demon, so I would think the Demon wins. But at some point, Finn Balor's got to lose that Intercontinental title. Then he cashes in that wild card. He teams with somebody to take on the club. He turns on that person, and that's when he joins the club. And then maybe, eventually, and now we're talking about over the course of a year, I wouldn't mind seeing a dynamic where you've almost got a Farouk, The Rock dynamic in the Nation of Domination, where both of them, there wasn't room for both of them. At some point, have Finn Balor or AJ Styles kind of start to push the other one out because you don't have room for the other one and build to a match where one of them is going to be the good guy, one of them is going to be the bad guy, one of them is going with the club, and one of them is going with the fans. But again, give it a lot of time. A lot of time. Let Finn Balor do his thing as a solo act right now. Do not put him in the club right now. Uh, you got a triple threat match going for the SmackDown Tag Team Championship. Of course, the Planet's champions, Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan, are going against the New Day and Heavy Machinery. Uh, I love the shine that Heavy Machinery's been getting lately. I don't think the New Day needs to be tag team champions. I think they just need to be second to Kofi Kingston at the moment to just make Kofi Kingston look like a million bucks at all time. And I think that Eric Rowan and Daniel Bryan being tag team champions makes the tag team title uh, better. Um, I think that we need to see a clean win. We need to see Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan pin, uh, I would say, heavy machinery. Pin them straight up. I, I think we need to show this team as a dominant team. Cruiserweight Championship match, Drew Gulak versus Tony Nese. I think it may end up on the kickoff show, uh, but I would definitely keep the title on Drew Gulak. Uh, you got Bailey versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Um... You know, I've got to tell you, I've been watching the buildup to this match, and Bailey is coming off as a brat. What is it Bailey's business? Why is she so obsessed with the fact that Nikki Cross and Alexa Bliss are friends? And why is she so obsessed with Nikki Cross seeing through Bailey's trickery? I'll tell you why, because it benefits her to have Nikki Cross not be friends with Alexa Bliss. I think Nikki Cross is going to figure that out, you know? Um, I believe we will see a Sasha Banks return at Extreme Rules. If not at Extreme Rules, then at SummerSlam, and it'll be a tag match or something. But I believe that what will happen is we will see a double team. We will see a really just unfairness happening, and at some point Sasha Banks will come in and make the save, and it will lead to a Nikki Cross, Alexa Bliss versus Bailey and Sasha Banks match at SummerSlam. But I think that at the end of the day, Bailey will leave with the championship in tow. Kofi Kingston versus Samoa Joe. I mean, I've said it a million times about Samoa Joe. He's got more credibility than anybody in that locker room. It's incredible. He could lose every match and still come forward, deliver a promo, and make you care. Kofi Kingston is leaving with the championship, but Samoa Joe is going to leave it all in the ring. Uh, you got Undertaker and Roman Reigns versus Shane McMahon and Drew McIntyre. Um, you know, I think Kevin Owens is going to rear his ugly head at some point in this match. Maybe take out Shane McMahon a little bit. Um... And I wouldn't, you know, you'd think that this is going to lead to a Drew McIntyre-Undertaker match at SummerSlam. It could also lead to that Elias-Undertaker match happening at SummerSlam. Maybe they're going to hold off on Drew McIntyre. But if they are, I mean, 
I would love to see Drew McIntyre beat The Undertaker at some point. I think that that would be great. And I think this is where this is going to lead. Um, I think that you, you're going to see Undertaker and Roman Reigns win the match, but maybe you'll see Drew McIntyre beat down The Undertaker after the match or something like that. But I do think The Undertaker and Roman Reigns stand victoriously. And then you got the last chance, winner-take-all, mixed tag team, extreme rules match. Universal Championship, Raw Women's Championship is on the line. The prom king and the prom queen, Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch, who have decided to rub the entire universe's nose in their relationship versus Baron Corbin and Lacey Evans. Look, I don't see Rollins and Lynch losing their titles. Um, But, you know, all my life I've tried to avoid couples that uh, wear matching T-shirts. When uh, my wife and I go to Disneyland uh, and and she goes, oh, do you want to wear matching T-shirts? I go like this. No, of course I do not. She goes like, oh, it's a holiday. Should we wear matching shirts for the photo? No. Why not? Because I don't want people to throw up when they get the family photo. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. Do I think they're going to lose the titles? No. Am I annoyed at their cutesiness? I am. I am annoyed at the cutesiness. What can I tell you? I got to be honest here, folks. I got to be honest. I thank you for being a part of this week's State of Wrestling. I thank you for being a part of this week's Not Sam Wrestling. Don't forget to uh, sign up on Patreon at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling for extra content uh, all the time, videos, everything. Uh, and don't forget to tune into Extreme Rules to the kickoff show to see yours truly back in the saddle again and grab Hulu and tune into main event this week. Uh, it'll drop today, Thursday. Uh, it should anyway. Uh, and you can see hear me do commentary over uh, a couple of great matches. So go for it, and I will see you next week right here on Not Sam Wrestling. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Hey, on the way out, thanks again to Blue Chew for sponsoring not only my bedroom, but this here podcast. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use promo code ROBERTS, R-O-B-E-R-T-S. Just pay $5 shipping. That's B-L-U-CHEW.com, promo code ROBERTS. Try it for free. Goodbye, everybody.